Hello, it's Friday, November 13th. I'm Riaz Atbat. On today's Guardian Daily, we'll look back on a week when Britain remembered its war dead and coffins continued to come back from Afghanistan. We are not yet doing nearly uh, enough to show people, to convince people how we are succeeding in Afghanistan. And we are. Difficult though it is, painful though the progress is, halting though it is, we are making progress. We'll look at changing public attitudes to that war and how 21st century Britain views its armed forces. I don't really know, if I'm being honest. It's a war. You know, it's never going to be like a good thing. Guardian Daily from guardian.co.uk Joining me for all of this is The Guardian security editor, Richard Norton-Taylor. Hello, Richard. Hello. Columnist, Madeline Bunting. Hello. And in Westminster, political commentator, Michael White. This week, Remembrance Sunday and Armistice Day were widely observed around the country, and the British Legion's poppy appeal once again did a roaring trade. The occasions were given added poignancy by the images of yet more coffins returning from Afghanistan, as always passing through the town of Wooten Bassett. Guardian Daily's Tim Maybe went down to Remembrance Field in London. All around me, on the lawns beside Westminster Abbey, leading on to Parliament Square, there are thousands of small wooden crosses. This act of remembrance has been carried out by the British Legion since 1928. The crosses are grouped by regiment or service, but also here, just in front of me, There are those for the dead in the current conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. These also carry the photos of the dead. Could you tell me where you're from? uh, We're from Basin and Essex. And why have you come here to the field? My dad and her dad. And basically because we really wanted to come up here to to see what what it's all about, you know. It's it's unbelievable, you know, the amount of deaths that have occurred and fighting wars. And does this 11th of November seem different to you from previous years? It does, years? it does. Yeah. I think it's been highlighted this year with the unfortunate lads that have come back through Wooten Bassett. Most people didn't seem to worry about it. I mean, we were in the Legion for quite a number of years and uh, we've always followed it. But this year, I think it's highlighted the fact that Wooden Bassett has brought it right forward. And how do you feel about the war in Afghanistan at the moment? I don't. <laughs> I think it's terrible. Because there's never going to be one. My grandfather fought in the Second World War, but he didn't die in the Second World War, but he must have fought with hundreds of people who did. So you have to come, you know? It has to be acknowledged. May I ask how old you are? I'm 20. So do you think there's a difference between how you feel about it and members of your family now? We always go to church on the Remembrance Sunday and, you know, they always make sure we have a poppy and things like that. And... Do you support the war in Afghanistan? I don't really know, if I'm being honest. I mean, it's a war. You know, it's never going to be, like, a good thing. I can see that, obviously, you've served yourself by the medals. Uh-huh. And have you been to the service today? I have, yes, yes. How do you feel about the field of remembrance? I think it's wonderful. Um, it's wonderful that everyone comes back here every year. And it's just a fantastic idea. And the, the fact that it's it's so packed today, it's just, it's just great. It's, you know, it's a shame that people are of remembering what's happened and it's even more poignant obviously nowadays with, with people currently serving on, on operations overseas so stuff like Hell for Heroes, Combat Stress, various charities like that have done a fantastic job. Poignantly for me I've actually come back to my both my grandfathers were killed in World War Two, so I've just been able to place cross for both of them so it's been really good for me and obviously to remember friends that I lost in Iraq so 
it's hard to ask you this, but do you yourself still support the war in Afghanistan? I do, yes. I do, certainly. I think um, I think if you speak to anyone that's currently serving there, the good that, the good that we do there outweighs what maybe people may see as a, as a negative perception, definitely. And uh, I, I think our role in Afghanistan is, is certainly not finished yet. Tim may be reporting there. Um, I want to start by asking you whether you think this Remembrance Day has differed from Remembrance Days in years past. Richard? It has, certainly, and there have been many more people, uh, and young people too, uh, on Remembrance Sunday and at all the other different services this year. And ironically, a couple of years ago, only a couple of years ago, uh, senior military commanders in the army in particular, generals, were complaining about the lack of uh, uh, interest amongst the public at large, and Remembrance Day, but also the soldiers coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq, and how uh, there were no parades and so on. And now, of course, uh, and, and how when the coffins came back, no one paid uh, any respect either. Now, of course, you've got uh, a lot of parades and you've got wooden Bassett uh, almost every week. And uh, actually, it's rebounded because these parades and the focus the press and the media generally have uh, put on them means that uh, people are asking many more questions about the, uh, the conflict in Afghanistan and how it's been um, presented and how it's been conducted. Madeline, what do you think? Well, I, I think that uh, the increased interest, and I agree with Richard, that you know that the services I saw last Sunday were much, many more people than I would have expected and, and deeply moving as a result. But I think it, it pro- prompts real confusion in people's minds. I mean, it was, you know, the, the guy w- who received the Victoria Cross, who was at the Westminster Abbey ceremony yesterday, uh, he's cl- so injured, he's not returned to the field. He still suffers from pro- post-traumatic stress. He has made a huge sacrifice to protect his country, quote-unquote. And this, I think, prompts real confusion in our minds as to in what way has his sacrifice really been about protecting the country. And it brings into focus a whole set of ideas that I think we find very hard to understand now. Sacrifice, heroism, courage. These, these are all concepts which are really confusing for a lot of people. Michael White in Westminster. Let's talk about Gordon Brown. He's had a very difficult week uh, regarding Remembrance Day and veterans and dead soldiers. Um, It started with accusations that he'd failed to dip his head accordingly and then it went on with the letter uh, that he'd written to Jackie Janes. I talked to Jackie Janes on Sunday night uh, and I said I was sorry if uh, any offence had been uh, caused. (coughs) I wanted her to understand that um, when I send these letters, and I send a letter to every family who suffers a bereavement, I think very carefully uh, what, what I say. And I wanted to assure her that the words that I was using, even if she had found them uh, difficult to read, which I understand from my writing, uh, were sincerely uh, met. I issued a statement yesterday apologising for any uh, grief that had been caused by that. The last thing on my mind was to cause any offence to Jackie James, and I think people know me well enough to know that it would never be my intention by carelessness or by a failure to cause any grief uh, to a grieving mother. How bad has this week been for him? Well, most of the accusations you mentioned, the dipping of the head nonsense, dear Lord, um, uh, and uh, uh, that's different from Jackie Jane's. I think her uh, grief obviously was uh, deeply felt and sincere, but the idea that 
because Brown has lousy handwriting and his staff didn't spot a clumsily drafted letter, invalidates his feeling for uh, loss. Everybody knows. They didn't know on Sunday, but they know uh, by the end of the week. They've been reminded that he lost a child himself in wholly different circumstances, but everybody listening knows just how dreadful that must have been for him. So he doesn't need a great flight of imagination. Gordon Brown doesn't have a great deal of imagination, but in this case, he knows what Mrs. Jane's went through, and I thought he was brutally treated by the son for essentially political reasons, nothing to do with the war in Afghanistan, and that uh, even Sun readers have uh, uh, recoiled against it. But uh, this is really about uh, Remembrance Sunday, and a lot of issues come to fore. Uh, It's the first time since the guns fell silent in 1918 when there have been no survivors of World War uh, I alive. A poignant moment long time ago. Harry Patch uh, uh, and his colleagues died in the air. And then, as Madeline said, uh, Lance Corporal uh, uh, Johnson Bahari, VC, uh, took the wreath down Westminster Abbey. These are all complicated feelings which uh, which they evoke. And as Madeline says, they're, they're uh, confusing to some people because they're torn between a sort of postmodern cynicism about green and country and patriotism and defending the realm and all these things, but at the same time, in a much more elemental level, they're also intrigued and fascinated and drawn to them, and they are aware, as Richard said, the coffins coming through Wooten Bassett from RAF Lynham, where they're brought home. This is deep and complicated stuff, and it's made more complicated by the fact that it is, in my mind, cynically manipulated by the press, which trades on grief, and I have no hesitation in saying pornography of, of grief. Richard, you uh, wanted to step in. Well, yeah, I think, Mike, is right. People want to channel their grief. If there is confusion, and maybe they want to channel even their cynicism, they feel they've got to be against something. What are they against now? They're, they channel it against the government, really, because of the, and what uh, certainly military commanders have not discouraged this, uh, lack, the, the, the lack of equipment, the lack of helicopters, and so on and so forth, which has actually given ammunition, if I put it that way. That's to, always to some been true, of the Richard, though, hasn't it? Well, more so, I think, more, more so here, and maybe it does, maybe that it makes people feel better, but it's also an objective issue. For years, um, uh, military commanders, you know, army in particular, have been complaining about lack of helicopters and so on and so forth. And, and, and now it's been taken up, partly because the whole uh, family is getting more and more say in the media. They, they've, been, they've been echoing that. Madeleine, is this country unique in the way it commemorates war? Do you think war is embedded in our national psyche? Is it unique? No, I, I think war is an essential part of the building of, of most nations, if not all nations. If you look to France, the, the, the commemoration uh, ceremonies going on there, or indeed the way that the, the sort of commemoration ceremonies in America play an absolute central role in nationhood. But one thing that I am struck by is having just written a book about an acre in England, in North Yorkshire. When I looked at the history of that acre over 12,000 years, you know, the one most dominant theme was war after war after war in some way, shape or form. Um, And, you know, we forget that. It's interesting how the history books can often sort of try and tell a story of nationhood which is not so violent, but it is violent. And it's entirely appropriate that my father therefore built a war memorial chapel on that acre. He understood what he was doing. He was that very rare sort of cohort that lived through the the, the 1930s as a teenage boy, but never actually fought in the war. And I think he carried that sense of a survivor's guilt and built a memorial chapel in, in memory of those contemporaries of his who did die. A lot of people say a lot of the problems of, uh, or the military would say about the politicians now, not a single one has been uh, in, in any of the forces. Do you think that a makes few, a, a few. Do you think that makes a difference? Yes, uh, I I think um, 
Richards generally right. There have been half a dozen Tories who have served as territorials in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, but he, uh, Richard is broadly right. Whereas if you go back a generation, uh, people around this country uh, in the... Uh, well, up to the late 70s, up to Margaret Thatcher, actually. Jim Callaghan was Dennis a naval Healy, lieutenant. Dennis yeah. Healy was a yeah. major beachmaster at Anzio. You could go through the whole ranks. Ted Heath was a colonel going to Germany in tanks. And uh, uh, Tony Crossland, Foreign Secretary, Richard remembers very well, uh, was a rather a swashbuckling uh, a major, got injured. Ian McLeod, Chancellor of the Exchequer, uh, suffered and eventually died of his war wounds. Winston Churchill, of course. Does this um, mean, um, sorry, um, Mike, um, I'm um, going to interrupt yeah, you. Does do. this mean there's a disconnect between... Yes. The government is. and the military and the well, government and the public's feelings. It, it, about it, it varies. Uh, I think Gordon Brown is open to sustained and serious criticism for a failure of imagination yeah. and empathy yeah. to understand the military, to take it seriously. Uh, well, He's what some people call, some people that, call a soft Blair. power man. Oh, no. no, no, Blair was different, I think. Well, I think Blair's enthusiasm for a sort of liberal interventionism is unthinkable in a generation that had actually fought the Second World War. Well, well they're more careful. I mean, you make a good point. Um, Willie Whitelaw and Francis Pym, who were in Margaret Thatcher's war cabinet during the Falklands crisis in 1982, both held the military cross and were both much more gung-ho, sorry, not gung-ho about uh, uh, the intervention in, in the Falklands. Of course, in an odd way, Thatcher was right. And she carried the day and they probably admitted later, not in my hearing, that, uh, you know, they did it. Uh, and they got away with it. So there's an odd, there's an odd mixture of feelings here and and uh, and experience. Uh, but throughout the 20th century, up to them, after 1914, everybody had been involved. All the prime ministers had fought. Churchill, after he got kicked out of the cabinet in 1916, went to the trenches for six months, crawled around in barbed wire, probably shooting Germans. Although it was bad form, <laughs> bad form to admit it. Richard is chomping at the bit to say something. Richard, no, I think, well, I think the point about Mrs. Thatcher would be a very good question. The first Sea Lord at the time said, "No, we can't do it." Uh, maybe only Margaret Thatcher would have done that. On the, on the Falklands front. But there are two issues now about the Gordon Brown Downing Street, which certainly the Minister of Defence talks about all the time, with increasing frustration and anger, and also astonishment. Two recent examples, the Gurkha case and the refusal for many, uh, for a long time, for, for Downing Street to accept uh, that they should have the right to, to settle in Britain. It was different. Joanna Lumley, of course, took the cause up. But Colonel's daughter. Yeah, a, a Gurkha's colonel's <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and the second one was this uh, uh, proposal to cut TA training, which would have uh, cut a tiny proportion of the, uh, uh, the defence budget. But Richard, you can blame the, and, the and they regular reversed army. The decision you, three you, days can blame, later. you can blame the regular army for that. They're always dumping on the TA, aren't they? Yeah, it's, it's probably the, uh, some poor benighted fellow in the MOD said, we're going to save 20 million, get rid of the TA. But someone in, in the political, uh, or some defence minister, or someone should have with said. antennae and dumb attends should have said, don't do yeah, that. that's right. Um, because they're going to jump up in arms, and they did jump up and down, and not only the Tories, but everybody else. And, of course, the, 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 the um, decision I, I, was I, changed I, in three days. I know, but I think the much bigger issue here, really, of new Labour and a post war experience generation is Tony Blair who took us into these wars in the first place yeah. it seems to me that well, Brown's, room for manoeuvre, yeah. Brown's room for manoeuvre now is very very anyway. limited you know it's America that's going to make the decisions in Afghanistan so I think we really need to that's been true since 1941 well yeah but who took us into these wars with such enthusiasm and I think that would have been impossible well, to well, Iraq some, first, yeah. some yeah. of them worked out not Iraq first Sierra Leone Kosovo defending Muslims uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Blair has some winners and some losers no, certainly but uh, Mike, yesterday we learned that civil servants at the MOD are going to get £47 million in bonuses. Now, that's angered 
families of soldiers who have been killed in action. Richard is waving his hand and says that he wants to answer his question. Um, if you're, well, giving, bonuses, if you're well. giving bonuses to people, does that take money away from troops? I want to know, I want a, a, a parliamentary uh, question to be asked about how many people in the Treasury have had bonuses. And that may come up with an interesting answer too. I'm far better for me to defend the Minister of Defence, although maybe it's a department I know best now at the moment. <laughs> or, um, but so they do have a lot of people, and they're not pen pushers. That's the point. They are not pen pushers. And I, that's an, uh, that was a question and an answer to Liam Fox, the, the, conserv- the opposition shadow defence secretary, who, who then uh, you know, encouraged, or two, two papers, uh, uh, the Daily Mail and the Daily Telegraph, um, uh, put it, put, put, published this story prominently. Okay, it's a story. Of course it's a story. But they're not pen pushers, these people. And you could do that about every other department too, for that matter. Well, you, you, uh, d- d- bonus culture is, is tricky because you'd need to know who is getting the bonuses. If it is um, ordinary uh, um, uh, junior members of staff who are paid on that sort of commission, and I'm talking here about uh, civilian life as well as uh, Whitehall and the Ministry of Defence. Actually, I'm talking about the Guardian as well as everything else. We're against bonus cultures for what I will rudely call the fat cats, but people who depend on bonuses for their uh, uh, living wage that's a different matter so i uh, i need to know the details before i make a judgment well the average wage of a, a memory civil servant about seventeen thousand pounds i think but a lot of these people were not pen pushers they were actually supplying the docks the military docks with the kit that then went on to afghanistan and so on or they designed new uh, body armor and all that stuff i mean far with me to go out of the way to defend quote civil servants unquote but they weren't civil servants in the ordinary meaning of they weren't they certainly most of them were not pen pushers as i understand it madeline what's the way forward for the british public do you detect a shift in attitude towards the war yes yes absolutely i mean you know that extraordinary clip uh, on the the news of wooden bassett with the coffins coming through this week i think will have touched many people i mean i myself you know found tears coming to my eyes and i suspect many people do these kids are so young you know 20 21 and these fresh faces that look out from the television screens and the question that is repeatedly in my mind and it has been there now for some time have we given them a job that it is possible to do. And I think that anxiety is now just going to get louder and louder. I mean, you may, you know, whatever views people had about going into Afghanistan in the first place, and I, I know was never enthusiastic and I opposed it from the start. But even, you know, eight years on, if there, if there had been a chance of some form of success, some form of decent government and so forth, that might have won me round to this war. But I see the possibility of these young lives actually bringing some benefit to Afghanistan, slipping in between our fingers. And it's so painful. As the mother of two sons, I cannot imagine that sense of grief and, that, and that raises, wasted life. That, that raises serious ethical and moral problems, apart from anything else. For everyone. For everyone. Mike, final thoughts? Um, young soldiers... It's difficult to get the balance right. Um, Some of them may be naive and innocent and uh, full of gung-ho stuff, but a lot of them know what they're going into. They come from families, as uh, uh, Jamie uh, Jamie Janes did, of five generations of infantrymen. His mother was not naive about it. Most of them, to use a dreadful cliché, are up for it and... Uh, they are, Madeline? to use a cliché, part of that band of brothers which sustains these things. It's part of human I, I, nature. I, I, I'm afraid, Mike, you know, I find that such a deeply troubling argument. We know that... I find it troubling, but I know it's real. Well, well, they may know what they're up for it, but actually we have a contract. We give them a job that it's possible to do and we give them the best quality equipment to do it. And I don't think we've given them a job that's possible to do. Yes, we do sometimes have to ask this terrible sacrifice of young people to protect our country. In the Second World War, that's what we asked of them and we owe it to all those 
those that gave that sacrifice for all our freedoms now. What are we asking these young men to do now? And it seems to me that is just not a legitimate request. Well, were, they, were they properly prepared for it, trained, but also properly prepared for it? Indeed, were the military commanders commanding these young uh, soldiers also properly prepared for it? Well, these questions are always asked, and we're always deficient in all wars. Uh, these questions are asked. We just didn't have the internet before, and we didn't have 24-7 rolling news. Madeline Bunting, Richard Norton-Taylor, and Michael White, thank you very much. That's all for this week. You can leave your comments on any of the issues raised in today's podcast. Guardian Daily was produced by Phil Maynard. I'm Riaz Akbar. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>